1: All right. And joining me on this episode of In the Ring um, is the former state superintendent of the state of Georgia and the uh, running to be state superintendent of the state of Georgia, uh, Dr. John Barge. Uh, Dr. Barge, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Noah. Thank you so much for having me on today.
1: Of course. So for those of the people who are listening, which I would say probably most because, I mean, I'm involved in politics and I just found out we have an elected superintendent. Um, What exactly uh, does the state superintendent, what are their roles roles? um and kind of a little bit about about you
2: okay uh sure you know the the biggest i think the biggest um um, responsibility that the state school superintendent has is to be the person that a a chief advocate for public education in georgia but also to uh to be able to to provide leadership and to provide direction uh, and to provide vision uh for local school districts uh, across the state of georgia uh you know education is what we call a a, a local uh, it's a local control issue in the state of georgia however there is a tremendous role for the state school superintendent working with the state school board to influence policy and for the superintendent to work with the legislature to influence legislation that all comes back to the local school system to ensure that we are providing our kids a quality, strong education and we're teaching them how to think and we're not indoctrinating them and telling them what to think. So to me, that's the biggest role that the state superintendent has is to make sure that we are providing our kids a safe learning environment and that we are actually providing them an education and we're teaching them how to think and how to solve problems and how to become successful adults.
1: I think I think you you hit a lot of <clears throat> a lot of nails on the head there. Um, you know, teaching what to think or sorry, teaching how to think, not what to think. I think is vitally important. And I think a lot of counties in our school or, or in our state um, don't do that. My county in Camden County, absolutely. It's a lot of you know what to think, not how to think, or sorry, how to think, not what to think. But I think probably places like. Fulton County and getting up into that metro Atlanta area, it's a lot more of what to think. And I know that in your announcement and since you've announced that you're running, um, you have talked very um, obviously not good about critical race theory. I guess it's kind of worked out that you're running at the one time education seems to be one of the major issues in the state of Georgia and in the country. Um, Do you kind of want to expand on what you want to do with critical race theory in in the state and how you want to uh, combat what I think is a very big issue facing the country.
2: Uh, Absolutely. Um, And, you know, children are not born racist. You know, as you see little kids grow and you see them mature and you see them interact with each other at school, they don't care about color. Unfortunately, it's the things that adults teach them, and I go back to Martin Luther King and his speech, and what his dream was was that his children would someday be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin, and what critical race theory does is the exact opposite of that. Critical race theory is teaching our children to judge each other by the colors of their skin, Uh, and that is just not acceptable. Um, And, uh, you know, it, you know, the current superintendent, uh, my opponent, the incumbent, he will tell you emphatically that critical race theory is not in our schools, and, you know, there is evidence, strong evidence to the contrary. Uh, and some of it is out of his own agency, his own staff training teachers in the state of Georgia. It may not use the term critical race theory, but it's certainly using the uh, a lot of the principles that are embodied with that. So for an example, uh, in 2019, uh, the uh, Georgia Math Conference, a conference put on by the DOE, for math educators in the state of Georgia, the theme of the conference was acquiring the keys to access and equity. And then when you looked at the, the five keys that they were focusing on, they were cultural competence, critical consciousness, cultural responsiveness, bias recognition and open mindedness. Now, I'm sorry, I've been an educator. I'm retired. I've been in public education my entire life in Georgia, uh, 30 years, uh, everything from classroom teacher to principal, to superintendent, to state superintendent, to curriculum director. None of that gives teachers any strategy or resource to ensure that students are being successful in mathematics. That's what we should be about. We shouldn't be about teaching uh, teachers about uh, being open minded and what is their bias, recognizing their biases. How does that? It just is not measuring up to me. So, uh, you know, we even have uh, teachers that have gone through other training or or leaders who have gone through other training uh, that are quoted. Uh, apologizing, well, that's not, I won't say apologizing. Uh, She uh, was recognizing uh, the, I'm gonna read you this quote uh, after this training that she took part in. When the conversation began regarding equity and experience, I was humbled and became painfully aware of my privilege as people in the room began to share their leadership stories. Uh, the conversation didn't stop that day, and neither did my curiosities. The reality that I was confronted with—that I carry privilege as a white woman—has changed my life and how I feel about leadership. Um, you know, that's really not te- that we're not providing education to kids; we're providing social indoctrination. And to me, that's that's evidence that it's going on. It may not be going on everywhere. I mean, you, you said that you know that you don't necessarily see a lot, the, a lot of the, you know, teaching what to think going on in Camden. And I'm very familiar with your school system in Camden. You guys have got a great school district there. Um, I visited there when I was state superintendent previously. Fabulous school system. So, um, but there there are issues with critical race theory that are going on across our state, and we have got to have leadership that will stand up and make those decisions and provide the policy for local school districts uh, around these issues to ensure that we are teaching kids, you know, reading, write, math, science, social studies, you know, whatever, and not these social issues. That makes sense?
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I guess my question comes into, because, you know, your opponent has what a lot of people would call not a very good track record over the last couple, I guess, four years or so. Um, so so I guess my question Comes in here. It, it, let's say you were state superintendent, or let's say you, you become state superintendent. Um, and there's another conference, I guess, put on by was that the the federal Department of Education? I'm assuming, or was that the state? No, department?
2: that was that was our state department. Of oh, Education. so it was
1: put on by Richard Woods by his department. Yes. Um, okay, that makes it worse. Uh, so I, I guess it's safe to say that you would be talking about how we can better educate you know fifth graders on. Uh, algebra versus whether or not open-mindedness I I think that's a safe assumption
2: you bet your bottom dollar okay well
1: absolutely I love safe questions that's why I'm a I'm a business major not an engineering major um my my, I guess my next line of of questioning kind of goes into uh you know talking about the last couple of years because if if the coronavirus has taught us one thing it's that leadership at the top really matters. It matters who your governor is, who your mayor is. You know, obviously under Governor Kemp, we locked down for maybe a couple of weeks. Um, and in Camden County, we locked down for, I don't think the can, the county ever had really anything in place. Um, so I guess my question coming to you in the age of critical race theory, and in the age of people being more involved in their school system, you know, what leadership would you bring? Would you would you? I assume you don't want to be a dictator from Atlanta. You know, are are you looking to, to put more the local control in while also making sure that the rights of the parents overall are met? You know, saying like, would you be in favor uh, of legislation? Would you lobby for legislation to just ban critical race theory from uh, public education in the state of Georgia when it comes to K through twelve?
2: Absolutely, I won't hesitate on that. Uh, and I will tell you this too. Uh, I think you you mentioned a, a very uh, a very good point. Um, And that is, you know, with COVID, uh, parents have become a little bit more aware of things that are going on. Um, One of the issues that that came up, uh, you talked about, you know, my opponent's track record. Uh, One of the things that came up when I was when I left the state superintendency, I actually uh, became a local school superintendent down in your area on the coast. Uh, And I was down there in 2016. When we received our uh, infamous Dear Colleague letter from the Office of Civil Rights under the Obama administration, direct, every school superintendent in the country got this letter, and it was directing us to allow children to use the bathroom of whatever gender they identify with. Um, and That
1: worked we received, out very well in Loudoun County, I think we saw.
2: Right, and, and we received that letter on a Friday. I had discussions with my board over the weekend, and on Monday, the following Monday, I had a letter out to my entire staff, uh, to every parent I had in the local newspaper, and I said, this is OCR's opinion. It doesn't bear the weight of law. And we are not doing this in McIntosh County, uh, and our boys and girls will use the facilities of their biological sex, and that was the end of the discussion in McIntosh. It wasn't debated. Uh, our, co- our community was, was, was happy. Uh, We received no guidance out of the state, and so going back to what would you do as as superintendent and and what role does the state superintendent have, this is one of those critical issues that you needed to provide direction and guidance to local school systems on how to deal with this letter that came from OCR. We received nothing out of the Department of Education for a full week. And then when we did receive it, it was a letter from his communications office, not from him. Uh, And it said uh, in the the first paragraph, it says that the governor had asked the superintendent to provide school districts uh, guidance on this issue. And I'm thinking, why does the governor have to ask you to do your job? So, you know, there are so when you look at a track record all these issues that are coming up the the transgender bathroom issue we have the metro atlanta school district right now that's being sued by the parents of a five-year-old girl who was sexually assaulted in her bathroom by a boy who claimed he was a girl and the school district allows the children they have a policy that allows the children to use whatever bathroom they're comfortable with that's why you don't do that and my opponent was very quick to talk about it when he did release his guidance that you know this is dangerous we don't need to do this but you guys have local control and i trust you're going to do the right thing you know when it comes to the the safety and security of our children my opinion is you need to be a little bit more um uh in the forefront of making these decisions and leading for our local school districts does that does that make sense
1: yeah that, that makes perfect sense to me and i i guess My next question comes in, you know, I I think I was reading it in the AJC or maybe the Georgia Recorder that fourth grade, I believe it was reading scores are at like 14, 15 year lows. Um, Do you kind of want to talk about how that happened um, and your, like what you would like to do to get that, you know, to make Georgia the most literate state, you know, maybe in the country, like what, 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 what's your plan there?
2: Well, here, it's hard to say what happened uh i think it's probably easier to say what didn't happen um so yeah if you if you look at uh, the national assessment of educational progress uh and the latest scores that we have from um from georgia are from the 2019 administration because that test is only administered every two years so um 2019 was the last set of data that we actually uh, the test that we actually have data for currently uh, and that was the year prior to the pandemic, so it's only going to get worse from here uh, because we've got the pandemic and the loss of instructional time that went on during that. But this was prior to the pandemic, and those scores uh, in 2019 were uh, more than uh, – let's see, I forgot – it was 14 points lower than they were in 2007. And <clears> – <throat> When when the my opponent ran he ran on uh, this uh, this uh, principle that uh, or this claim that uh, children need to be reading on grade level by third grade, and that's true. We we all know, and the research uh, shows that if children are not reading on grade level by third grade, they will struggle. The rest of their school career and the chances of them dropping out and not graduating go up astronomically if they are not reading on grade level by third grade. So he campaigned on that. But since then, what has he done to make sure children are reading on grade level by third grade? Again, I was a local school superintendent for five years under his administration, and I didn't receive anything from the state initiative wise, uh, plan wise on what we needed to do or what we would be doing as a state to make sure our children were reading on grade level by third grade. It's a great talking point. It's a great campaign buzzword. But there was nothing done to make sure that children were reading on grade level by third grade. In fact, uh, his bringing into the the biggest thing that I recall that he's brought in is his whole child uh, program. And that's where we get into a lot of this social engineering stuff. We, we're into social emotional learning. We're into uh, you know the equity, and and we're not teaching kids to read. And so, what I would do differently. Um, we have added so much to the plates of teachers as far as our expectations of them if you go back and i mean you go back over time but just go back to the 1960s and you start looking at everything that we added uh, to the plates of teachers to do a majority of what we've added uh, to the teachers plate has little to do with reading writing and math you know we're talking about um Things like uh, you know, sex education, uh, anti-gang initiatives, dropout prevention. Uh, I mean, it just the list goes on and on and on. And now we're talking about critical race theory. We're talking about gender uh, dysphoria, and why are we talking? My argument is not, you know, that. The rightness or wrongness of those issues is that school is not the platform for that. And if you take those off the plates of teachers, they actually have time to teach reading, writing and math. And so what I would make sure that we are doing in K3 is we are removing everything that we can possibly remove from their plates, except for focusing on uh, literacy early literacy and basic numeracy so that by the end of third grade, the students have the reading and math skills they need to be successful in the rest of their school career. That doesn't mean getting a, away from any of our programs like fine arts or PE. Those are, those are absolutely critical programs for those children, but you embed your reading and math skills within those programs to make sure that they're being uh, refined and, and revisited during the school day. So that's some of what I would do, sir.
1: Right. Well, I, yeah. I guess it's more important to be able to do algebra than to be able to draw. I don't know a sheep. Um, I, I'm I was never very good at art. Um, so, I guess my 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 question comes in, and it's always weird interviewing people who are running to represent you know me. I guess in in a sense because like I'm also kind of like well I want to make sure he, he wants to do what I want what I would want him to do. So I guess my question is you know taking Camden County and taking the worst school system. Um, in the state, which I don't know what that is. Um, What do you think if you're, let's say you get a call from the superintendent of the worst school system, and again, I don't know what that is, you may know what that is, or one of the worst school systems, and they go, hey, what are the people at the top, you know, let's say the Camden counties of the world, what are they doing to make, you know, we have probably, I think, the best public engineering program of a high school, so obviously we figured it out how to teach kids math, that by the time they're you know, ten years later, and, and they're a senior in high school. They almost have an associate's degree, and they're you know pretty on the way to being uh, an engineer. For instance, what is a place like Camden County doing different than a place like Inter? I'm, I'm assuming it's one of the more poor counties. Enter one of those counties.
2: Well, uh, naturally, there are some there are some resources that. Camden can tap into that, uh, let's say, a, a more rural school district uh, doesn't have the access to tap into. Uh, you guys have got, uh, you know, the submarine base there. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, the, the the resources that that might bring as far as, you know, folks being able to to help you with your engineering program. Because along with, the, you know, the Navy base, you guys have all of the accompanying uh, industry and business that supports that within your community. And so, so those are resources that you guys have that, uh, some other communities may not have, but what you certainly can do, um, one of the things that I did as state superintendent, uh, during, uh, my first term, uh, which was, uh, 2000, I served from 2011 to 2015, uh, was the creation of the career pathway initiative in Georgia. Uh, we, uh, we developed over a hundred career pathways uh and made them available for school districts not a, there's not a single school district out there that can offer 100 different career pathways but we created uh a, a multitude of pathways that support uh business and industry and where we're headed you know as as you know a, a workforce um You know, so that students could could find value and meaning in what they're learning in school. And so you guys have got some great engineering programs down there, but there might be another. I can tell you an example of what we did in Macintosh when I was there. Uh, We didn't have the resources that you guys had in Camden. Macintosh was 100 percent free and reduced lunch. Um, But I found a really interesting fact when I got there, and that was the graduation rate of my black students was uh, like 96 percent and the graduation rate of my white students was 68%. And and digging down, the only thing that we could find, uh, and and it was really anecdotally in talking with students and and community members, is that uh, a number of our white students who, who were dropping out, their families owned the shrimping boats and they were going to work on the shrimping boats rather than finishing school. So what did we do? We used this uh, career pathway system that we put in place uh, when I was state superintendent, which was designed to be flexible. And we created a new career pathway for our community, for our schools in commercial fishing. So McIntosh County now has, I think, maybe one of only two uh, commercial fishing high school programs on the east coast of the United States. Uh, And and we did that in conjunction with a technical college. So the students are. uh, learning something that they want to learn we're uh, producing a better educated fisherman to go into the workforce but they're also earning college credit from the technical college for the courses that they're taking in high school so there's so many things like that that you can do even in the rural communities to find ways to get students engaged uh, in their communities what is what you know what is happening in their community what is needed
1: Yeah, no, I I didn't know that they that that and, that and that makes a lot of sense too. You know, you keep these kids in school cuz you know, you can you can succeed without a high school diploma in the 21st century, but it's getting increasingly harder in the age of everyone's going to college and getting a bachelor's degree.
2: Um, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I think the I think the opportunities of succeeding without a high school diploma are slam and none. But I think that we uh, we sell our kids a bill of goods to tell them you have to have a four-year college degree. That's what is not necessary. There there are numerous opportunities for kids to be very successful, uh, very successful, very well off financially uh, with a two year technical degree. And we need to make sure that we are exposing our kids to all of the opportunities for them.
1: Right. I, I mean, I tell the story of my friend Ben all the time. You know, we graduated in the same year and me and. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40% of people who graduated that year went to college. It might, it's probably even higher. Um, and so we're sitting there, some of us with student loan debt, some of us with not. And he just on that base, you brought up, he went to work as an apprenticeship and he's currently making $60,000 a year, um, which in a, in a place like Camden County or McIntosh County is, you know, pretty good money. I mean, Alpharetta might say, that's what our janitors get paid, but in a, in a rural kind of like that, that that's good money. And I think it probably is in place to the fact that, um, probably under some policies you guys did, it, w- he was able to do um, a, that pathway that you guys created. Cause I remember having to take that pathway, uh, a certain pathway, not the same one he did. Um, and now he's at the point where he's, I think he just turned 21 and he's making, you know, what some people who <clears throat> get out of college don't even make with a four year degree. Um, so Absolutely. And I think yeah. the funny part is I, I, I think I was like, I think I, w- I was like in the website design pathway, and I, now I have to pay people to design my website. So I guess I didn't pay as much attention to that <laughs> class as I should have.
2: Well, the technology changes so incredibly rapidly too.
1: Yeah, and they, and honestly, I, I do have to say that you know the people who were teaching that class, when they were designing websites, it was so much more complicated than when like now. Right. Now you just go to Wix.com, um, and right. you can have a website in 20 minutes. You just throw some photos in there. Um, right. well, this, this is all great. I do want to get off, uh, off campaign for a second and do, I do want to ask you a question. And I've been asking everybody this week, Latham Sadler has the dogs by 17. You know, what's your score prediction? Um, for, this is coming out Sunday, but obviously we'll, we'll already know what happened, but what is your prediction for the game that's going to take place tomorrow?
2: I'm going to, I'm going to take, uh, my Georgia Bulldogs. That's where my doctorate degree is from by 14,
1: by 14. Latham has them by 17. I have them by 127. Hopefully at least one of us is right <laughs> Um, I actually just ordered like seven shirts that say dogs by 90, you know, if we win by 90 points, I think it's a great one. Um, So I guess going back to it, I I do want to get your point on this. I I got a couple of things that I have, again, I've not told Dr. Barge any of these questions ahead of time. That's would obviously not be right. Um, So I guess my question comes in, you know, we saw um, a study in the state of Georgia that uh, shows that, you know, amongst K-12 kids that mask mandates really do nothing. In fact, they may even harm, um, right. The, in terms of the spread. And there's not even talk about the the sociological uh, imbalance that it that it causes. I mean, suicide rates among, you know, high it's school. It's incredible. It, they've they've tripled. You know, more kids have died by far of suicide caused by lockdowns, not being able to see their friends, not being able to get homecoming prom, then have died. I think like seven or eight kids in the country have died under the age of 18 with no comorbidities. But even when you add the comorbidities, it's like 30. So I guess my question is, you know, let's say it's March of 2020. You're the state superintendent, you know, and, you know, the governor calls you up and goes, Dr. Barge, what should we do? You know, knowing what you know now, you know, what would you have advised the governor to do with, you know, whether that's the lockdowns, the masks, and and would you try to find a way to ban mask mandates uh, amongst the K through 12 kids?
2: Yeah, I I do not support mask mandates, uh, and that probably goes against some of my uh, educational colleagues, uh, but I do not support mask mandates. Um, I think for a number of reasons that you've mentioned, uh, but I can I I know that even now, you know, we're uh, going on two years into this pandemic that I know young people that have such anxiety um, when it comes to masks. Uh, and what they've been told, and, um, and 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 that's not something that's going to be easily overcome. Um, and and I think that there's probably been a whole lot more harm done to the mental health of students with mask mandates and the media uh, than than what should have happened. So I'm not in favor of mask mandates.
1: I love I love how you're so quick to the to the point on a lot of these questions. Um, a lot of people will start telling stories from when they were kids, and I was like, okay. Uh, let's let's wrap this up we do have a certain amount of time that we have to stay in so I, I guess my next question um, is something that I think you know I don't know if you've even thought of it yet and you know your your team might get mad that I asked it my question is would you um, as superintendent uh, well first off I'll state my point I, a lot of people disagree with me a lot of teachers disagree with me on this I think the schools are in place for students not teachers um, obviously the teachers have already graduated so my question is would you support Um, forming an advisory board of X amount of high school. um, Let's say high school, let's say, you know, obviously it gets hard to have a bunch of primary kids um, on it, but like some sort of student advisory board um, that way, you know, that you can, you know, schedule a monthly, quarterly meeting to say, you know, what can we do better as a state to help you guys succeed?
2: Uh, No, I actually had that when I was state superintendent previously, I had the state superintendent student advisory committee Uh, And it was made up. I had. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, I think we had uh, representatives. They were from all across the state. I'm trying to think of the number we had about. uh, We had somewhere between 50, uh, I think 50 and 60 might have been a little bit more. I don't know the exact number of students who were on my student advisory committee, and they came from all across the state of Georgia, and we did meet with them. Uh, on a regular basis to get their feedback uh, on what's going on in their schools, new initiatives that maybe we were rolling out. And they were always great to offer up uh, uh, insights on maybe things that we didn't think about, maybe things that we don't know that are going on, uh, concerns that kids have that we aren't aware of, uh, that kind of thing. So um, absolutely, we'll do that again because, uh, you know, kids – uh, sometimes, I mean, they're the ones that we're trying to teach, and sometimes we we kind of fail to uh, get their not necessarily that you're going to let them direct uh, the the flow of instruction or but at the same time, uh, you know it's it's helpful to get their insights right.
1: So, I, I think you're again, obviously because I asked the question, I, I support that as well because uh, I, I've told this story on here too, talking about education, um because when I was a sophomore, yeah, a sophomore um in high school we had a new teacher who took over um this this class and again it wasn't you know like a math class or anything like that it was it was i think it was a digital design class that i was talking about my pathway was um in day one she she had just come from the middle school where she like taught like a typing class like so you can type faster um in day one she said something along the lines of you know i'll be learning this material right alongside you guys to which my question was so what you're saying is if we just hired some random person to sit there, they would have the exactly the same amount of knowledge. And I remember, you know, going to the principal, going to the board and, and the superintendent and saying, hey, you know, quite frankly, you know, even though she has taught she has taught for 25 years at this point, I don't think it's fair to my and my classmates' education that our instructor is learning alongside us. Um, so I guess that that's my question at it too. Um, because at, at they pretty much said she's a very experienced, you know, teacher. And I'm like, well, we could just hire a babysitter and probably get the same input out of her. And there was actually a student who ended up teaching her, teaching the class and teaching most of mostly her what to do. So that, so that is my question uh, to you, you know, would you, you know, if, if something like that came up um, obviously I think that that could be something on the committee. Um, and I guess another que- I have a couple of more questions um, to ask, you know, first and foremost, would you support banning, georgia tech recruiters from going to high schools because that is the worst thing i think you can do is go to georgia tech um i think it sets you up for failure because you have to wear the yellow you have to you know cheer for the jackets
2: yeah. <laughs> you know Noah, for a minute there i thought you were being serious i thought <laughs> no. Uh, really I... no <laughs> i was just gonna have to disagree with you on that Noah. <laughs> all
1: right we'll at least ba- we'll ban emory okay we'll at least ban emory um no, but seriously. So, so I appreciate that. So then the question becomes because I think there, I think your job, I think your job as superintendent is, you know, obviously more than just one thing. Um, it, it's recruiting these teachers, recruiting people to become teachers. Um, yeah. I saw something that Georgia's one of the, like the least paid states per cost of living. Um, I could be wrong on that. It could have been another state. You know, so what would you do as superintendent to boost people to become teachers? Because I think that's really the the cornerstone is if you have good teachers. Like I wanted to be an accountant until I took government and had a teacher who was so good that made me want to pursue politics and look how that worked out for me. So what what is your plan to retain to retain teachers and honestly steal teachers from other states? I mean, you know, I, I love all most states equally. I don't really love California or New York, but if there's a great teacher in Florida, how can we get them here? That that's my question. What, what's your thought on that?
2: Well, uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, I think going back to one of the things that I spoke of earlier is. We have to be uh, very um, – sort what of I'm looking for, um, not specific, but very um, – um, I can't think of the word, but very specific, very, uh, very mindful um, in looking at what our expectations of our teachers are. Uh, we are asking them to do too many things that they were not trained to do. Um, and you know when pay is important and there's a lot of research out there that says most teachers uh, not all most teachers, pay is not the number one thing uh, for them it's right. important, if, it, if pay was it's the one
1: thing they probably would have been in a different profession.
2: right so so it has more to do with uh, you know their work environment and what type of support they have from their administration and that type of thing. So if we can take, some of these things off of teachers plates that I mean, basically, we're we're turning our school, our education centers into mental health centers and therapy centers and therapy education. But I mean, that's not what teachers went to school to do. Uh, and so we probably should invest more in counselors uh, and mental health folks for our schools. To address those issues, because I'm not I'm certainly not saying that kids aren't having to deal with a lot of things that, you know, uh, that kids in the past didn't have to because things our society is just in in a very different place. Um, So investing in counselors to get that off of the plates of teachers, because that's not what they were trained to do. And and that's one of the things that I think teachers um, really uh, are not happy with is that, that they're being asked to do so many other things than what they were trained to do so really uh be be meaningful and purposeful about what we're asking our teachers to do uh, making sure that we are focusing on what they were trained to do and what they were trained to teach so uh, m- making sure those expectations are right uh, you know georgia teachers are are paid uh, relatively in line they for a while they were what they were the highest paying district in the southeast uh, I'm not sure that they are anymore. However, you know, pay is is pretty decent. But there's there's certainly things that we could do um, to help recruit teachers away. I think one of the best tools that we have, and and it's wow, well, we probably failed to market it well is our teacher retirement system. The Georgia teacher retirement system is one of the best in the country, uh, and and it's really hard to get kids to, or young people today to think about retirement uh, to be that. Uh, you know, to think that far ahead, uh, but but the Georgia TRS is one of the best recruiting tools. I mean, that you can retire after 30 years uh, and receive 60% of your annual salary, your highest annual salary for the rest of your life. That's a that's that's a pretty good deal. Um, it's a strong retirement system, um, and I think that we certainly could market that. And I, I know it's one of it's certainly better than uh our neighbors to the west in Alabama, so um, there's certainly things that we could do to market what we do well.
1: Well, we 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 should not judge ourselves based on Alabama, um, but nah. <laughs> you know, and if quite frankly, I'm I don't even I don't even want to be in I don't even want to think about Alabama until four o'clock tomorrow, and hopefully not until after that, um, but. <laughs> And I think you're right. And a lot of people are like, oh, my God, 30 years. And it's like, well, considering the average age of starting this profession, is like 23, 24 years old. I mean, you're 54. Um, and then I, I know some teachers who do what's called the 40, they're called 49ers, where they do, right. they retire and then they only teach half the day. Um, right. So, and I think that's probably more of a higher, you know, in high school type thing, um, because it'd be pretty weird if you just leave after lunch in your, you know, second grade classroom. Um, but so, you know, one, I want to thank you so much for coming on. In um, clarifying a, a lot of things, uh, where can people, you know, if they want to support, uh, you know, the candidate who is ban- who is uh, who has vowed to ban critical race theory and uh, fight mask mandates in schools, where can they go to uh, to find you to support you? I know you're probably going to need some money to run this race, so where can they do donate? Absolutely,
2: to you, uh, our website is uh, John Barge GA for Georgia, JohnBargeGA.com, uh, and you can find the link to donate right there on the homepage.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Barge, and we'll have to get you on soon after you win, okay? That'll
2: be great. Thanks,
1: Noah.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today.